0: CHAPTER THIRTEEN OF THE POSTMASTER'S DAUGHTER BY LEWIS TRACY. THIS LEVERVOX RECORDING IS IN THE PUBLIC DOMAIN. CONCERNING THEODORE SIDEL Winter, being a cheerful cynic, had not erred when he appealed to that love of mystery which, especially if it is spiced with a hint of harmless intrigue, is innate in every feminine heart. Indeed, he was so assured of the success of his somewhat dramatic move That as he walked to a Renaissance arranged with Superintendent Fowler on the Knowworth Road, he reviewed carefully certain arguments meant to secure Doris's assistance. Passing the hollies, he smiled at the notion that Furneaux would undoubtedly have brought Grant to the concave. It was just the sort of difficult situation in which his colleague would have revelled. But the chief inspector was more solid, more circumspect even singularly enough more sensitive to the probable comments of a crusty judge if counsel for the defense contrived to elicit the facts anything fresh inquired the superintendent when a smart car drew up and winter entered mr fowler was in plain clothes and the blinds were half drawn no one could possibly recognize either of the occupants unless the car was halted and the inquisitor literally thrust his head inside the motor was a private one borrowed for the occasion yes a little said winter as the chauffeur put the engine in gear your man robinson has been drawing elkin or elkin drew him i am not quite sure which but think it matterless either way he sketched robinson's activities briefly but in insufficient outline a new figure has come on the screen sidle the chemist he added thoughtfully sidle mr fowler was surprised why he is supposed to be a model of the law-abiding citizen i don't say he has lost his character in that respect said winter still he puzzles me elkin is a loud-mouthed fool the verbal bricks he hurls at grant are generally half-baked and crumble into dust Hitherto Seidel has tried to repress him with a transparent honesty that rather worried me. On Friday night, however, Seidel attacked Grant with poisoned arrows. He did more damage in two minutes than Elkin could achieve in as many months. How? He showed very clearly that Grant was guilty of gross bad taste in inviting Mr. Martin and his daughter to dinner that evening. I'm inclined to agree with him if the story has been told fairly. But that is beside the main issue. Seidel aroused the sleeping dogs of the village, and the pack is in full cry again. Grant seems to have been popular here. He had almost recovered from the blow of Miss Melhush's death by the straightforward speech he made before the inquest. But Seidel threw him back into the mud by a few skilful words. What is Seidel's record? Is he a local man?" I think not. Robinson can tell us. Robinson said he believes Seidel is a widower. That doesn't argue long and close knowledge. We must look into it. Robinson has been stationed here for four years. Seidel is not old, but he has been in business in -in Stranholme more years than that. But you'll pardon me, I'm sure, Mr. Winter. May I take it that you are really interested in the chemist's history? The superintendent was perplexed or he would not have adopted his professional method of semi-apologetic questions with a man from the cid i hardly know what i'm interested in laughed winter grant didn't kill the lady i shall be slow to credit elkin with being the scoundrel he looks siddle and tomlin if you please are regarded as starters in the doris martin matrimonial stakes and i don't think tomlin could ever murder anything but the king's english it is siddle's voltefasi that bothers me hm murmured mr fowler he was not an uneducated man but voltefasi correctly pronounced was unfamiliar in his ears the change was so marked went on the detective i gather that siddle is a stickler for charity and fair dealing he didn't abandon the role of course it was the sheer ingenuity of his method that caught my attention so I simply catalogue him for research. "'Has Miss Morton promised to meet us?' inquired the other, feeling that he was on the track of Fossi. "'No, but there she is,' cried Winter. "'She has just heard the car. Tell your chauffeur to slow up. The road is empty otherwise. By the way, you help her in. She might be a bit shy of me, and I don't want a second's delay.' Winter's judgment was not at fault. Doris was, feeling a trifle, uncertain, seeing that she was about to encounter a complete stranger. Moreover, she had come a good half-mile from the shop whence the cakes for tea were to be procured at the back door, and as a favor. Her eyes were fixed on the slowing car with a timid anxiety that betrayed no small degree of doubt as to the outcome of this Sunday afternoon escapade. She was pale and nervous— At that moment Doris wished herself safe at home again. "'One word,' broke in Superintendent hurriedly. "'Why are you so sure that Grant is innocent, Mr. Winter?' "'I'm sure of nothing with regard to this case, but I have great faith in Furneaux's flair for the true scent. It has never failed yet.' Mr. Fowler wished his companion would not use such uncommon words. However, he got out and took off his hat with a courteous sweep doris had to look twice at him hitherto she had always seen him in uniform winter smiled at the unmistakable expression of relief in her face she was almost self-possessed as she took the seat by his side good day mr winter she said mr franklin please better become used to my pseudonym plenty of room for your feet mr fowler that's it now we're comfy the chauffeur will bring us back here in half an hour miss martin will that suit your convenience oh yes i am free till nearly four o'clock we have a guest to tea then i have a well-developed bump of curiosity these days who is it may i ask mr siddle the local chemist indeed an old friend i suppose we have known him seven years ever since he came to steynholme ah he is not a native of the place no he bought mr benson's business he's a londoner i believe is there a mrs siddle no i er that is to say gossip has it that he was married but his wife died he doesn't speak of her is that it one would have thought that in a house where he is well known we don't really know him well no one does i think you've invited him to tea at any rate laughed winter no said doris he invited himself at least so i gathered from dad ah well he feels lonely no doubt and wishes to chat about recent strange events in straying and that brings me to the reason why i sought this chat under such peculiar conditions you realize my handicap miss martin if i were seen talking to you or even entering your house as apart from the post office people would begin to wonder you follow that don't you yes doris did follow it what she did not follow was the veiled admiration in superintendent fowler's glance at the detective those few in questions had shed a flood of light on sidles past and present yet the informant was blissfully unaware of their real purpose and the way was opened so deftly THE PURCHASE OF A CHEMIST'S BUSINESS WOULD ALMOST CERTAINLY BE NEGOTIATED THROUGH A LOCAL LAWYER. LET HIM BE FOUND AND SIDTLE'S PRE-STRAYIN' DAYS COULD BE LOOKED INTO, AS THE POLICE PHRASE HAS IT. THE SUPERINTENDENT HAD THE RARE MERIT OF BEING CANDID WITH HIMSELF. HE HAD NO PREVIOUS EXPERIENCE OF SCOTLAND YARD MEN OR METHODS, AND WAS INCLINED TO BE SKEPTICAL ABOUT Furneaux. But Winter's prompt use of a chance opening and the restraint which cut off the investigation before the girl could suspect any ulterior motive displayed a technique which the Sussex constabulary had few opportunities of acquiring. Now, Miss Martin, began Winter, if ever you have the misfortune to fall ill, touch wood, please, and call in a doctor. You'll tell him the facts, eh? why consult him at all if i don't she smiled exactly today i'm somewhat in the position of a harley street specialist summoned to assist an eminent local practitioner in dr fowler that's a sort of gentle preliminary leading up to the disagreeable duty of putting some questions of a personal nature what you may answer will not go beyond ourselves i promise you that YOU WILL NOT BE QUOTED OR REQUESTED TO PROVE YOUR STATEMENTS. SUCH A THING WOULD BE ABSURD. IF I WERE REALLY A DOCTOR AND YOU NEEDED MY ADVICE, YOU MIGHT EASILY DESCRIBE YOUR SYMPTOMS ALL WRONG. IT WOULD BE MY BUSINESS TO LISTEN AND DEDUCE THE TRUTH, AND I WOULD NEVER DREAM OF rating YOU FOR HAVING MISLED ME. YOU SEE MY POINT? YES, BUT MR. WIT- MR. FRANKLIN, I KNOW NOTHING WHATEVER ABOUT THE MURDER." I'm sure you don't. It was a wicked trick of fate that took you to Mr. Grant's garden last Monday night. It was really an astronomical almanac, retorted Doris, who now felt a growing confidence in this nice-spoken official. Sirius is a star remarkable for its beautiful changing lights, and on Monday evening was at its best. I think I ought to explain, she blushed delightfully, that the village gossip about Mr. Grant and me is entirely mistaken. We are not—well, I had better use plain English—we are not lovers. My father and I are just on close, friendly terms with Mr. Grant. I—my position hardly warrants even that relationship with an author of some distinction. But please set aside any notion of us as likely to become engaged. For one thing it is preposterous. For another I shall not leave my father. Poor Doris! She little guessed how accurately this skilled student of human nature read the hidden thought behind the vehement protest. Even the note of vague rebellion against social disabilities was pathetic yet illuminating. Of course he took her quite seriously. Let us keep to the hard road of fact, he said what you really mean is that mr grant has never made love to you but i must be candid young lady there is no earthly reason why he shouldn't though i could name offhand half a dozen why he should well well i must not pay compliments my friend mr furneaux can manage that with much greater faculty being half a frenchman and now i'm going to say an unpleasant thing i ask your forgiveness in advance both mr furneaux and i agree in the opinion that your imaginary love affair is indissolubly bound up with the mystery of miss melhush's death in a word i have brought you here to-day to discuss your prospective marriage and nothing else that astonishes you eh well it's the truth as i shall proceed to make clear there's a mr fred elkin for instance doris uttered a little laugh of dismay Winter's emphatic words had astounded her, but the horse-dealer's name acted as comic relief. "'I can't bear the man,' she protested. "'I have no doubt, but you ought to know that he is loudly proclaiming his determination to marry you before the year is out.' The girl's face reddened again, and her eyes sparkled. "'I wouldn't marry him if he were a peer of the realm,' she said indignantly. "'Quite so, but he is an avowed suitor.' Now don't be vexed. Has he never declared his intentions to you? He would never dare. I sing and act a little, at village concerts and dramatic performances, and he has annoyed me at times by an officious pretense that he was deputed by my father to see me home. I came here quite a little girl, so people learnt to use my Christian name. I don't object to it at all, but I simply hate hearing it on Mr. Elkin's lips. "'Exit Fred,' said Winter solemnly. "'Next.' Doris, after a period of calm, was now profoundly uncomfortable. This kind of prying was the last thing she had expected. She had come prepared to defend Grant, but beyond one exceedingly personal reference the detective had studiously shut him out of the conversation. "'What am I to say?' she cried. "'Do you want a list of all the young men who make sheep eyes at me?' "'No, I can get that from the Census Bureau.' "'Come now, Miss Morton. You know—has any man in the village led you to suspect, shall we put it, that some time or other he might ask you to become his wife?' "'Lo and behold, Doris's pretty eyes filled with tears.' Superintendent Fowler was so pleased at hearing Scotland Yard introducing a parathetical query into the sentences that he, sitting opposite, was taken aback when Winter said, in a fatherly way, "'I've been rather clumsy, I'm afraid. But it cannot be helped. I must go blundering on. I'm groping in the dark, you know. But it's a thousand pities I shall have to tread on your toes.' "'It isn't that,' sobbed Doris, I hate to put my thoughts into words, that's all. There is a man whom I'm afraid of. Sidel, she turned on Winter, a face of sudden awe. How can you possibly guess? She said wonderingly, and sheer bewilderment dried her tears. My business is nine-tenths guesswork. At any rate, we are on firm ground now if you could please yourself i suppose mr siddle would not come to tea to-day he certainly would not declared the girl emphatically you believe he is coming for a purpose yes elkin i must drag him in again for an instant pretends that the commotion aroused in the village by this murder would incline you favorably to a proposal of marriage mr siddle may have discovered some virtue in the theory did mr elkin really hint that i needed him as a shield doris was generally angry now she little imagined that winter was playing on her emotions with a master hand don't waste any wrath on elkin he soothed her the fellow isn't worth it but his crude idea might be developed more subtly by an abler man i think it odd that mr siddle should choose today of all days for a visit she admitted winter relapsed into silence for a while the car was running through a charming countryside and a glimpse of the sea was obtainable from the crest of each hill mr fowler was too circumspect to break in on the thread of his coadjutor's thoughts the inquiry had taken a curious turn and was momentarily beyond his grasp it's singular but it's true said the detective musingly when next he spoke that i am now going to ask you to act differently than was in my mind when i sought this interview i should vastly like to be present when siddle bears his heart to you this afternoon i can invite you to tea alas that won't serve our ends but if you feel you have a purpose you will be nerved to deal with him bring him out into that secluded garden of yours the first thing he will suggest And Doris's voice waxed unconsciously bitter. He knows that Dad will be busy with the mails for an hour after tea. Good. I think it bad. Most disagreeable. You won't find the position so awkward if you are playing a part. And that is what I want. A bit of clever acting. Lean on those railings and make Siddle believe that your heart is on Mr. Grant's lawn. You know the kind of thing, I mean dreamy eyes listless manner inattention with smiling apologies you will annoy siddle and a cautious man in a temper becomes less cautious force him to avow his real thoughts you will learn something trust me about what there were no tears in doris's eyes they were wide open in wonderment about his attitude to this tragedy do this and you will be giving mr grant the greatest possible help he needs it next wednesday at the adjourned inquest he will be put on the rack ingerman will fee counsel to be vindictive merciless such men are to be hired their reputation is built up on the slaughter of reputations i want to understand siddle before wednesday by the way what's his other name theodore Theodore Seidel. Unusual. Well, your half-hour is nearly up. Will you do what I ask? I'll try. May I put one question? Yes. You said you had something altogether different in view before we met. What was it? I'll tell you. Let me see. I'll tell you on Thursday. Why not now? Because it is the hardest thing in the world for a woman to be single-minded, in the limited sense of concentration, I mean focus your wits on siddle today. i don't suggest any plan i leave that to your own intelligence vex him and let him talk vex him yes what man won't get mad if he notices that his best girl is thinking about a rival this time doris did not blush she was troubled and serious very serious i'll do what i can she promised when shall i see you again soon there's no hurry all this is preparatory for wednesday am i to tell my father nothing please yourself not at present i recommend you the car had stopped it sped on when doris alighted she would be home with her cakes at three o'clock and mr martin would never have noticed her absence a fine bit of work if i may say so exclaimed fowler appreciatively BUT I AM JIGGERED IF I CAN IMAGINE WHAT YOU'RE DRIVING AT. Winter WAS CUTTING THE END OFF A BIG CIGAR. HE FINISHED THE OPERATION TO HIS LIKING BEFORE ANSWERING EARNESTLY. WE STAND OR FALL BY THE RESULT OF THAT GIRL'S EFFORTS. Furneaux THINKS SO, AND I AGREE WITH HIM ABSOLUTELY. AFTER FIVE DAYS WHERE ARE WE, MR. FOWLER? IN THE DARK PLUS A brigand's HAT AND HAIR but there's a queer belief in some parts of england that a phosphorescent gleam shows at night over a deep pool in which a dead body lies that's just how i feel about siddle the man's an enigma what sort of place is stranholm for a chemist of his capacities dr foxton has the highest regard for him professionally and i'm told he doctors people for miles around yet he lives the life of a recluse An old woman comes by day to prepare his meals and tidy the house and shop. His sole relaxation is an hour of an evening in the village end, his visits there being uninterrupted since the murder. He was there on the night of the murder, too. For the rest he is alone, shut off from the world. Without knowing it, he's going to fall into deep waters today, and he'll emit sparks. Or I'm a Chinaman. "'I'll leave you here. Good-bye. See you on Tuesday after lunch.' The superintendent drove on alone. He pondered the Stranholme affair in all its bearings, but mostly did he weigh up Winter Inferno. At last he sighed. "'London Ways and London Books and London Detectives,' he muttered. "'We're not up to date in Sussex. Now, if I could please myself, I'd be hot-foot after Elkin.' I see what Winter has in his mind, but surely Elkin fills the bill, and Seidel doesn't. What was that word, volt-what? Doris was lucky. She met Mr. Seidel as she emerged from the back passage to the cake shop, resolving instantly that if an unpleasant thing had to be done, it should at least be done well. She smiled brightly. "'See what you have driven me to? Breaking the Sabbath,' she cried. "'holding up the bag of cakes. "'Tea and bread and butter with you "'would be a feast for the gods,' said Siddle. "'Now you're adapting Omar Khayyam. "'Who's he?' "'A Persian poet of long ago. "'I never read poetry, but if your tastes lie that way "'I'll accomplish some more adaptation. "'Oh, no, please, cakes for you, Mr. Siddle, "'poets for giddy young things like me.' "'There was a sting in the words.' doris preamed herself on having carried out the detective's instructions to the letter thus far arrived in the house she found her father still in the garden examining some larvae under a microscope he looked severe rather than studious he might have been an omnipotent being who had detected a male factor in a criminal act Was Strayenholm and its secret felon being regarded in that way by the providence which, for some inscrutable purpose, permitted yet would infallibly punish a dreadful murder? She was a girl of devout mind, and the notion was appalling in its direct application to current events. In the meantime the chemist, evidently taking a Sunday afternoon constitutional, came on winter, who was leaning on a wall of the bridge and looking downstream, Grant's house being on the left. He would have passed, in his wonted, unobtrusive way, but the detective hailed him with a cheery, "'Good day, Mr. Seidel. Are you a fisherman?' "'No, Mr. Franklin, I'm not,' he answered. "'Well, now I'm surprised. You are just the sort of man whom I should expect to find attached to a rod and line, even watching a float.' i tried once when i was younger but i could neither impale a worm nor extract a hook my gorge rose against either practice i am a vegetarian for the same reason if it were not for this disturbing tragedy you would have heard hobbs the butcher rallying me about my rabbit meat as he calls my food well well laughed winter your ideas and mine clash in some respects I look on a well-grilled steak as a gift from heaven, and after it, or before it, I don't care which, let me have three hours whipping a good trout stream. With the right cast of flies I could show a fine bag from this very stretch of water. Why not ask Mr. Grant's permission? It would be interesting to learn whether he will allow others to try their luck. Mr. Seidel strolled on winter bent over keen to discern the gray backed fish which must be lurking in those clear depths and rippling shallows chapter thirteen